I think it may still be too early for Connecticut, but what's more important than, than dates is that our deadline should be driven by the data. We do have a problem with people who don't want to do what they feel is inconvenient for them. And uh, these are not the people who are helpful in a pandemic. I'm John Dankowski, and this is Steady Habits, a Connecticut Mirror podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. It's where we take a look at how things work here in the land of steady habits, how they don't work, and how to make them work just a little bit better. And this week, we're going to kick off a brand new series, Reopening Connecticut. Is it too soon to reopen our state? I don't know. Let's see. Do I have some special music for this series? Hmm. Let me take a look. Ooh, this. I like this. Um, If you're listening on the day we drop this episode, May 20th, you will note it's the day the state's been targeting for a partial reopening of state businesses. Now, to this point, only businesses considered essential have been operating in Connecticut, and that's meant a lot of people are out of work and a big part of our economy is suffering. The phased reopening is being done based on meeting goals for testing and a reduction in the transmission of coronavirus. And as you'll hear, the state is making some progress. So that means pretty soon you'll be able to eat at restaurants again, but only if you eat outside and only if not that many of you are in the restaurant. And frankly, your waitress will be wearing a mask and it probably doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun. Um, You might, though, have been looking forward to getting a haircut. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've been getting these kind of homemade haircuts for the last couple months. My wife's been doing as well as she possibly can, but I could use to go back to the barber, but that's going to have to wait because this week, Governor Lamont pushed when salons could open up until June to coincide with the neighboring state of Rhode Island. Other businesses are being told now that they'll have to wait until later in June. Some businesses feel like, well, this pace is too slow. We want to open up more quickly. Others say, give us more time. And public health experts, they're kind of split on when to reopen different parts of the economy. So on this episode, two views from the public health sphere, from Dr. Tom Sai from the Harvard Global Health Institute, and first from Sten Vermond. He's dean of the Yale School of Public Health. Now, his colleague, Dr. Albert Coe, has been helping to lead Connecticut's effort to reopen the economy. Vermin told me he's been pleased with the state's response so far. I'm happy that the uh, governor and legislature haven't tried to move too quickly. Uh, Just uh, two weeks ago, we had 440 uh, patients in Yale New Haven Hospital with coronavirus, and now we have 240. Uh, That's clear progress, and we're clearly on the downswing, but that's still a lot of patients and a lot of people who got uh, uh, infected in the last uh, uh, week. So we are prudent, and I think that's good. I also feel like, uh, you know, opening up some industries, some businesses uh, can be done expeditiously. Others may have to wait a little bit. When we talk about this phased-in nature of the the reopening of our economy, some businesses going back, others taking a little bit longer. From a public health standpoint, are there certain benchmarks that you feel the state needs to meet before we start to open up restaurants? And, mm-hmm. and what are what are some of those guide points that we have to hit? Mm-hmm. Well, over a month ago, we had federal guidance that I thought was very thoughtful. 14 days of steady declining uh, case uh, numbers. Um, And that is a rule of thumb that was um, evaluated by uh, the folks who do the mathematical modeling and forecasting. 
And uh, they had reason to recommend that uh, two-week span because that would suggest that the uh, wave of transmission was um, uh, moving on, shall we say. And um, it's a shame that states have ignored that guidance because I think that would have been much more prudent. Georgia is what's highlighted the news. I don't have any special knowledge about Georgia, but certainly judging from the news, they were especially aggressive at reopening, and I'm not so sure that was such a good idea. Um, Texas seems to have had a surge. Now, maybe that's just a pocket, or maybe it's going to be uh, more generalizable, but I don't think that um, you can be penny-wise and pound-foolish um, opening up too early and substantially risking another wave uh, will simply um, uh, disrupt the entire point of this shutdown to begin with. So I, I do feel like we're in a good position now to um, thoughtfully reopen the state in stages. Uh, there are parts of the state that are at considerably lower risk than other parts, uh, and we can be more liberal in opening them. And uh, we can also uh, take a look at the big three, dis uh, physical distancing, uh, hand hygiene, hand and face hygiene, and mask use. And there's a lot we can do when we adhere to those big three. I, I think my big question, though, comes with some of the, the social aspects of, of this crisis and how we've seen human behavior around these various uh, milestones that we're hitting. When the states start to open up, and a state like Connecticut, which is, I think we can all agree, more thoughtfully doing it than Georgia, starts to open up a bit more, You'll, you'll start to see what I think you and I both might have witnessed over this past weekend. You get a couple sunny days, you get more people out and about, you maybe get more people going to the stores that are open, not wearing masks. There's almost a social effect of saying, well, we're past this certain point and now we're going to start to open up. Do you fear from a public health standpoint that people are going to take the message that things are fine and we don't have to be as vigilant as we have been for the past two or three months? That is a challenge for the uh, policymakers, political leaders, journalists, public health officials, academics. We need to impress upon people that uh, a declining rate is not a zero rate. And if we continue to have transmission of the virus in the state of Connecticut, which we expect to well into the summer, it is highly prudent to um, um, physically distance use masks, and be aggressive with hand hygiene. It's not asking very much. That's not a huge burden. If I can go to the movies and be a few seats away, let's be honest, uh, most of the movies I go to are not jam-packed anyway. <laughs> so it's a matter of the uh, movie theater uh, owner being thoughtful in sort of the hot cross bun seating arrangement and making uh, a bit of an educational effort to please sit uh, in the seat where you see a mark. And you'll distribute people in the theater and people will be safer. Uh, it's not so difficult to sit in a theater and wear a mask. And it's not so difficult to use the hand sanitizer that the clever theater owner will place conveniently uh, at the entrance and exit. But, 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 uh, but, but, let, me just, bathroom, but so. let me just stop you because I think we're, we're all, though, noticing that there will probably be some theater owners, there will probably be some bar owners when bars are able to open up that aren't going to be so thoughtful. And there will be some places where people will crowd in as though it's Mardi Gras and we just have, have been locked up and can't wait to go party. I, I'm wondering how 
much of a problem you see from a potential transmission standpoint, increased contact over the summertime as people begin to get into situations where, frankly, the businesses or the individuals themselves are not being that thoughtful? Well, I think that the um, Department of Public Health and some of us in public health academia can be helpful if our data uh, in the state suggests that our problem is uh, exceedingly low at the time, then liberalization uh, is not unreasonable. Uh, If there is little to no transmission, then one might resume normal behavior, much as we do outside of flu season. Uh, We're much more cautious about uh, uh, hygiene in flu season than we are the rest of the year. And maybe we should always be that cautious, but we aren't. And so if um, the circumstances are highly favorable, liberalization is fine. But if we continue to have transmission, then we're just inviting another wave if we're um, too relaxed and, uh, and we don't take those precautions. And we're going to open up the state. The governor's decided this. There's a broad consensus across the state that when we hit that sort of two-week Uh, declining uh, span. There is a good reason to believe that the wave of transmission that washed over us from New York City will have uh, largely dissipated. And uh, until we know for sure, it is a fool's errand to ignore physical distancing, hand washing, and um, mask use. Um, I honestly think we owe it to each other as uh, denizens of our state to try to keep each other safe. Even though it's a small state, do you, do you feel, though, because New York City has been the hotspot in the United States, maybe in the world, that Fairfield County and surrounding areas are in a little bit of a different situation than, than Hartford County or the, or the eastern part of the state? I do believe they are, yes. They have a business and social intimacy with New York City far greater than any other part of the state. Uh, they're... Um, um, home of uh, Stanford and Greenwich, which were hit right away very hard. And there's just no question that it was uh, due to the the um, uh, tied by the hip kind of, you know, relationship they've got with New York City. So I was disturbed seeing the evening news uh, yesterday by folks in New York City not bothering with masks, um, uh, not bothering with any kind of distancing in some of the bars. And uh, It'll be interesting to see what Mayor uh, de Blasio does about that because we do have a tradition in public health of getting tough with people if they're unsafe and they're threatening the, the health of the community. It, it, is, it is true in all 50 states that an active tuberculosis patient who refuses therapy uh, it can be incarcerated and, uh, uh, and uh, treated for two weeks until they're no longer infectious to others. And nobody sees that as a violation of individual liberty because there's a point at which that individual's irresponsible behavior threatens me. It's similar to running a red light or, or, or driving recklessly or driving under the influence. We, we don't hesitate to uh, enforce these things. And all of a sudden, public health, people are saying, well, uh, I'm not so sure that uh, that person's uh, behavior is, is a risk to me. So I just all let it pass. But I think we should remind people courteously and in a uh, 
a cordial and reasonable way. Uh, would you mind wearing a mask? Uh, uh, could could you use that hand sanitizer? Uh, could you stay a couple feet away, a couple more feet away? That's not unreasonable. I, I do it with people. I try to do it in a way that's friendly and uh, supportive, and uh, I'm getting away with it without having my face uh, smashed in so far. And I think if we do that with each other and set up a different kind of social con- contract that, that we agree to try to protect each other, then perhaps uh, we'll be better off. I, I wanted to ask you about this: the social contract or social compact. I think it's it's such a it's such an important point. And there's there's two questions I want to ask about it. One is that that is a slightly different thing than an enforcement mechanism, right? If if there's a mechanism that says we cannot tolerate people without masks going into a certain establishment, or we cannot tolerate someone who we know. Uh, is actually a carrier of this virus being out in public, we're going to incarcerate them. That's a very different thing than us all getting together and deciding that we're going to take care of each other. Can you just parse those two things out for us? Because I believe that the social compact is a is a wonderful idea, but it may be a utopian idea in the America that we live in currently. Good point. Um now that we've been in a bit of a plateau of a peak of infection, uh, there have been more rigorous uh, regulations. The governor has uh, required mask use to go into a store. A friend of mine was um, uh, at a store the other day that was doing, you know, you were ordering um, in advance and then they would bring it to you and you, 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 you could even pay in advance. And they had the six-foot distancing of people. And there was one gentleman in the whole line who wasn't wearing a mask. And the store owner refused to serve him. And he got all upset. Uh, but uh, the store owner said, the governor has uh, said that you have to wear a mask. I'm not serving people who don't wear a mask. And everybody in the line cheered the store, store owner. Nobody took the side of the one person out of six or seven who refused to wear a mask because it was sociopathic. It was antisocial behavior was not a reasonable point of view. And as the gentleman left, my friend told me that he, he mumbled, oh, masks don't help anyway, which is simply untrue. So, you know, um, we do have a problem with people who don't want to do what they feel is uh, inconvenient for them. And uh, these are not the people who are helpful in a pandemic. Mm. A, a last thing for you, sir. Where do you think we need to get to in terms of testing in the state for us to more fully open back up? Because we hear from so many health experts that without expanded and increased testing, we're not going to be able to take those next steps toward more liberalization. So if I'm a store owner and I want to protect uh, all my employees and my clients, I would like to get uh, my uh, employees tested uh, for the antigen, meaning for the virus, um, uh, before they return to work. So I might ask them to go to the CVS or other um, uh, drive-through or whatever uh, is available in my community and get a test. Uh, I think I would reimburse them for the cost of the test because I would want to incentivize them to get that test. And um, and then I would know that I have a returning workforce, none of whom is infectious to others. And um, uh, they will stay uninfected the same way the health workers stay uninfected, which is use of 
personal protective equipment. In this case, we're only asking for hand washing and masks and, and distancing. And that would protect my business. I will not then end up in the newspaper as a place that had a coronavirus case because I'm going to lose a lot of business as soon as people see that my employees have gotten ill. And so I think it's mutually self-interested. It's good for the business. It's good for the client. And uh, uh, having that um, uh, ability to test people as they come back into group settings would be a powerful tool. And do you think that there's some magic in the state number of wanting to hit 40,000 tests a week? Um, others have done that calculation. I haven't double checked it, but my colleague, Albert Coe was happy with that number. And I think he's done the research. One of my other colleagues, um, Forrest, uh, Crawford is working with the state. Uh, I don't think he's actually on the, um, um, advisory group, but he's consulting the advisory group. And I think they're coming up with those numbers with his assistance. I, I, I believe that Tens of thousands of, K of tests a week are definitely going to be needed because we may not think of ourselves as a large state, but um, there are three and a half million of us. Uh, if you take a million you know, children out of the equation for the need for testing, you still have a couple of million people, uh, and that's a lot of people. That's Sten Vermond. He's dean of the Yale School of Public Health. Coming up, another view of Connecticut's effort to reopen from that other New England university with a gigantic endowment. But first, we've got a really interesting event coming up, and it's happening tonight. If you're listening on May 20th, it's called Ask the Mirror. And what it is, is it's a moderated conversation I'll be having with Beth Hamilton, who's the executive editor of the Mirror, and Mark Pazniokas, the Capitol Bureau Chief. And we'll give you a chance to ask all sorts of questions about the work that the Mirror does, the work of journalism, any of the stories that we're covering. So if you want to sign up for this special event, just go to the Facebook page of the Connecticut Mirror. Look for that event and you'll get the Eventbrite link. You can sign up there. We would love to have you as part of the conversation. So we're starting a series this week called Reopening Connecticut, and we wanted to go outside the state for some perspective. Dr. Tom Sai is from the Harvard Global Health Institute. They've been taking a close look at testing for coronavirus and how that can be used as a gauge for loosening restrictions on businesses. I asked him what he's looking for states to do as they consider how to reopen. The most important things to focus on as uh, we look forward to the next uh, few weeks uh, in terms of reopening is making sure that we continue to test broadly and counterintuitively, the need for testing may actually increase as you reopen despite lower cases because the reason for testing is going to change. Over the last several uh, months, we've been really focused on just diagnosing COVID-19. So basically testing patients with symptoms and confirming that they had uh, corona coronavirus uh, infection. But as we move towards reopening, we're moving from uh, paradigm of diagnosis to one of screening and surveillance. So we need to get the tests out of the hospitals and really into the communities and be able to adequately perform um, testing, uh, contact tracing, and supported isolation. So I think there are two key metrics we need to be looking at and state governors should be looking at as we move from looking at just the uh, structural uh, indicators of whether or not we have enough tests to now actually measuring our processes for 
for testing and for reopening. That means we need to be measuring the number of people who are actually being uh, traced through contact tracing, and among those, the number of people who are actually being tested, because we have to make sure we're testing those contacts in order to be in order to cast a wide enough net to uh, get our arms around the infection. Um, the second part is make sure that our um, tests are coming back um, um, at a fast enough rate uh, so it can actually uh, inform behavior. If testing is supposed to uh, increase people's confidence in the healthcare system and society and in the economy, they can't wait four to five days for a result to come back. That's four to five days of you know being self-isolated at home and unsure um, if you have the coronavirus and unsure if you may, you may have uh, uh, you know inadvertently ineffective your friends, families, or, or loved ones. So we really also need to be measuring the turnaround time. Ideally, that needs to be, be you know, below 48 hours, uh, below 24 hours, if we're to make sure that the tests are uh, immediately actionable. How close do you think we are toward getting the right number of tests done, toward getting that turnaround time, so that we can have the sorts of impact that you're looking for? Um, I think we're heading in the right direction. In Massachusetts, uh, the governor recently announced um, uh, testing threshold, a target of 45,000 by July and 75,000 by December. Um, and I think similarly, um, Connecticut and other states have also increased uh, their testing uh, goals for the next uh, few uh, weeks to months. Um, but, you know, Connecticut still has a test positive rate um, that's close to about uh, 10%. And we need to be making sure that states like Connecticut are continuing to drive down the uh, test positive rate. Um, the way to think about this is it's not enough to make sure your car is going slower, going 10 miles per hour versus 60 miles per hour. The goal is to bring that car to a stop. So we have to actively be applying the brakes, actively decelerating and slowing down. And the equivalent of that is the test positive rate continue to uh, decrease and decrease at a fast enough rate. That's, that's when we know that the infection rate is going down, that fewer and fewer people are uh, being infected. So a lot of progress has been made. Um, I think we're heading in the right direction, um, but especially as states begin to uh, move into phase reopening, there is you know, an even more important need for continued vigilance around all the things you know, that work. You know, that includes universal masking, physical distancing, and really minimizing unnecessary um, social you know, contact and exposure. Again, because even though the infection has slowed down, uh, it's not over yet. And there's always a chance that uh, if we you know, take the lid off, that things could uh, bubble over again. What conditions might make it easier for the virus to come back in another wave to bubble back over again? I mean, if you, if you look at a phased reopening like this, what, what could happen wrong in a state like Massachusetts or Connecticut that would, that would have the numbers start to head in the wrong direction again? We know that the uh, virus tends to be uh, spread easiest um, in closed settings, indoor settings, where there's not a lot of air circulation, where there's a lot of high frequency and high duration of contacts. Um, so, you know, these are things like factories and plants. You know, we've seen, you know, how rapidly clusters can emerge at um, some, some of these uh, meatpacking or food processing plants. So that's why we have to be um, even more vigilant uh, going forward to make sure that we're um, testing 
but also re doing repeated surveillance testing of nursing home residents and nursing home workers, testing any visitors. You know, the same goes for prisons, the same goes for uh, new workplaces, you know, as they open that may be sort of at higher risk. So I think it's um, really a focusing of the vulnerable populations or underserved communities. And the way this works is it's a snowball effect. If you're testing widely um, in these vulnerable populations, not only are you protecting the high-risk individuals, but if you're actually following through with not just testing but contact tracing, then for each new case, you're testing at least five to ten additional individuals. And some of those may be new cases, and then you go contact trace those individuals. So then it becomes a snowball where, you know, one test becomes ten tests, becomes a hundred tests. And that's how you do sort of a targeted surveillance um, that's both uh, screening the population, but also, um, you know, following the epidemiology of the disease through contact tracing. And that's the way to move forward is by making sure that we can um, identify some of these cases early enough before they become, you know, uh, uh, you know, emerging as uh, huge clusters of cases. States are really only starting to ramp up their contact tracing efforts. Do you think that enough has been done at the state level in order for us to feel confident that we can start to go back to work? Because we, we're testing more people, obviously, but, but still those numbers are relatively low compared to what public health experts would have wanted. And now we seem to be just slowly ramping up contact tracing. I guess I'm just wondering, doctor, if we've, if we've done enough so far to, to give you confidence. I think we've made a good start in lots of states, but I think we could be doing better. We always can be doing better. The goal of testing and, and the contact tracing is to make sure that um, you know, we are creating confidence in the society, in the public, in the economy to safely reopen. And the best way to create that confidence is to make sure we're testing broadly. I mean, think about, you know, your confidence in going back to work or bringing children back to school uh, would be many fold higher if you know that you didn't have coronavirus, your child didn't have coronavirus, their teachers didn't have coronavirus, your colleagues didn't have coronavirus. So, you know, I don't think we're there yet. But that, that's the degree of confidence we need to be building in society. And the only way to do that is to be making sure that we're testing broadly. And the only way to make sure that we're testing broadly is to, making, is to make sure that we're actually doing adequate contact tracing. So I think we've made an important start where a lot of states have hired contact tracers. Um, in Massachusetts, um, you know, over 10,000 phone calls have been made to um, uh, potentially exposed contacts. Um, but I think that's just stage one, you know, step one. What we really need to be moving is making sure those 10,000 individuals all get tested. So I think that's where we need to be looking beyond just the number of tests as our metric for success and start measuring how effective our policies are, how effective our processes are. That's where we need to be looking at the number of tests per contact, the turnaround time per test, because these are second order metrics that will shine some light on how well the phase reopening plans are actually being implemented, um, because that will tell us um, you know, whether or not ultimately we're improving the outcomes for the public, which is decreasing the number of uh, COVID-19 cases. If you were on the line with Ned Lamont, the governor of Connecticut, and he asked you, is it time to start a phased reopening, to start some businesses going back as early as uh, the 20th of May, some others starting as early as June 1st? What would you tell him? I mean, do, do you think that we are going about this too quickly or not quickly enough? Do you think that we're doing it just about right? 
Um, so I'm just looking at the numbers um, and in Connecticut. Um, so I have no skin in the game uh, being a resident uh, in, in Massachusetts. <laughs> but looking at the numbers in, in Connecticut, the positive rate seems to be uh, stabilizing around 10%. But that's good, but not good enough. We want to see that drop below 10% and keep dropping. The, uh, the number of positive uh, tests has also stabilized, but I want to see it to continue to go down. Um, so, you know, the good news is that the number of tests has uh, increased over the last several weeks um, uh, in Connecticut. So, again, I think there are, some, um, there are some early signals, but I want to make sure that what we're seeing are truly signals and not noise. So I think it may still be too early for Connecticut, but what's more important than, than dates is that our deadline should be driven by the data. So we shouldn't hold ourselves, you know, to specific dates. Um, what we should really be uh, you know, holding ourselves accountable to is what the data show us. If the data shows that the number of cases continues to go down, that the positive rate is not just stable, but continues to go down below 10%, the number of deaths continue to go down, um, and our number of tests continue to go up, all these you know, signs are then pointing in the right direction that um, the pandemic is truly slowing down. I think that's a point where you know, the phase reopening approach uh, is important. The second part, you know, I would tell um, Governor Lamont is that just as important as to the goals, you know, the gating criteria for moving to phase one is how do we measure how what success in phase one looks like? Because um, if we see that rising cases during phase one, you know, how do we hold ourselves accountable for you know, make having made the right policy decision? So we need to be making sure that um, the state of Connecticut and, and that goes for every state in the union. Uh, needs to have very transparent metrics on what success or failure looks like in terms of phase reopening, because there are lives that are at stake. So we need to be making sure that uh, we are very clear about what the goalposts are, and we hold ourselves accountable to those uh, moving forward. And we can't have, um, you know, sort of moving targets. You know, there needs to be something that we work towards to during phase one for reopening. Um, and if we meet those, great, move on to the next phase. Uh, but we also need to know what happens if we don't meet those. Um, and we may have to, you know, reinstitute some um, forms of uh, social distancing or even, you know, double down on even more testing in order to be able to contain the pandemic. So that it's the, the response is what I've been seeing missing in a lot of the state plans. And I think that's incredibly important because that um, transparency is what's going to breed accountability, which is what's going to breed confidence in our public health system and our in, in, in the economy as well. For the last couple months, we went from uh, thinking that maybe if we elbow bumped instead of shook hands, that would be okay. And then we started to distance ourselves a little bit more. And then there was a, a lockdown and then more and more things shut down. And we've been only really essentially increasing the amount that we have distanced from the, from each other and protected ourselves and each other. And now with this phased reopening, there seems to be a sense in society that we've turned a corner and that the behavior is going to start heading in the other direction. And I guess from a public health standpoint, I'm wondering if it worries you that even if the testing gets up to a certain point, even if our metrics look good, we are sending a signal that things are back to normal and so that people who have heretofore been acting a lot differently than they ever have are going to go back to acting exactly the way they were uh, in right. January of this year. 
there is no normal. The new normal is this brave new world that we're in now. It is, you know, no longer ever going to look like December 2019. Um, you know, this is, you know, a once in a generation, once in a lifetime pandemic. And uh, what the public needs to realize is that, you know, it was actually easy to do one really big thing. Well, that big thing was staying at home. Now we have to do lots of small things well, universal masking, physical distancing, you know, making sure we get tested, um, you know, making sure we answer the phone if we get contact traced, you know, following the guidelines at work, you know, we're at school, you know, th all these things are really hard um, to do well and to have this complete cultural change than just doing the one big thing well of staying at home. So I think the next few months are actually going to be very challenging and difficult. Um, but, you know, I'm confident that, um, you know, residents of Connecticut, as in every other state, you know, get it. Now, people understand, you know, their friends, family members, whose lives have been lost to this. People understand the, the tragedy um, and the depth of this pandemic. So my hope is that people will continue to um, translate you know, that level of concern into their everyday practice, um, because it's not uh, just, you know, um, going back to the way things were, you know, this is a, a, a new world that we're sort of reopening to. And that's a world that requires um, vigilance. But the important thing to understand is that everybody has a role to play. That, you know, this new world means that everybody has a sense of control, because, you are responsible for breaking your link in the chain. And when you do that, you're not just helping some hypothetical person across the country. You're helping your friends, your family, your loved ones for a potential of being infected. So I think there's an incredible role for individual responsibility. Um, and I think that's a message we have to focus on going forward. Dr. Tom Sai from the Harvard Global Health Institute. And that's it for this week's Steady Habits. If you're not subscribed to the podcast yet, please do it. You can visit our page, steadyhabits.org, or look for us in all the places that you get your podcasts. Our series, Reopening Connecticut, will feature more conversations about what it'll take to get our state running again. So please look for those in the coming weeks and also look for a special edition of our podcast coming out later this week. Our Steady Beats this week are provided by George Mastrianis and Dave Swanson and were recorded at Legend Studios in Avon, Connecticut. Thanks to Bruce Potterman and Kyle Constable. I'm John Dankosky, and we'll see you soon.